0: Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, we have a tale of hungry beasts and desperate people. But before we get to sacrificial lambs, I want to say thanks to our newest patrons, Anya, Quentin, and Kate. You too can enjoy ad-free episodes and help us pay a living wage to everyone who works to bring these stories to you, we rely on listeners like you to keep this podcast going. So please visit nightlightpod.com/legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout out on the podcast, plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com/donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available and you can support us by sporting Nightlight branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy the substitute Written by Gracie C. McKeever and narrated by Christian Young.
1: Silver Creek Township, Two Harbors, Minnesota, 1920. Billy Miller's side ached, his lungs burned, and his hammering heart felt like it was going to burst from his chest. He didn't stop running, though. He couldn't, or that thing would get him like it had gotten Papa and Uncle Frank— Had it attacked his kin or had his kin gone to the thing willingly? That didn't make sense, but everything had happened so fast, the images so confusing now. He was so confused he couldn't remember if the creature had rushed toward his kin or they had rushed to the creature and somewhere in between his kin's blood had painted the surrounding trees and forest floor, the flow of red polluting the nearby stream. Either way, Billy knew his kin were dead. They had to be. There was no way they could have survived the creature's claws and teeth. One second they were out fishing, his kin teaching him the finer points of casting his line. The next second, a gigantic, ashen-gray beast burst through the forest, slabbering and puffing like the wolf preparing to blow down the three little pigs' houses. Billy just didn't want to wind up in the thing's belly like Little Red Riding Hood's grandma had wound up in the wolf. The creature's stench, foul breath, body odor, and rotting flesh still filled Billy's nostrils. He couldn't get rid of it no matter how far he ran, nor could he erase the vision or the smell of splattered blood and shredded bodies. Billy stumbled against a towering birch, panting and nauseous. He was so tired, but more afraid of being butchered like game. The fear drove him, gave him energy to push off the tree and run, just as the monster burst from the forest and into the clearing behind him. Sunken eyes glowed from its gaunt, lupine face, horns like a moose's antlers protruded from the top of its large head. Snot oozed from its elongated muzzle and saliva dripped from its mouth like it had scented a tasty meal, as if Uncle Frank and Papa hadn't been enough to satisfy its hunger. Billy had only caught flashes of the creature during the attack, but it seemed even bigger now, bigger than any man or bear or moose or prehistoric animal that he had ever read about in his science books. Bigger yet so bony, and glinting beneath the moonlit night as it growled, the creature's pointy teeth reminded him of a saber-toothed tiger. He came up short at the edge of Split Rock Falls, the noise of the rushing water blocking out everything except the nearest woodland animals and the creature's snarls. Billy briefly glanced over his shoulder to see the monster charging toward him, said a prayer, and leaped. Hours later, near daybreak, the authorities fished him out of the lake at the base of the mountain atop of where Split Rock Lighthouse sat. He was cold, exhausted, and shivering uncontrollably. He didn't know how long he had been floating on a piece of driftwood, he didn't know where he was, he just knew that he was alive and had not been eaten. When he tried to tell the sheriff what had happened, however, tell him what he'd seen, the man looked at Billy's mama and shook his head as if he thought Billy crazy. His mama twined her fingers through his on top of the hospital bed and thanked the sheriff for finding Billy and bringing him back to her. As soon as the sheriff left, Billy's mother turned wide eyes on him, her voice stern when she said, You must never speak of this again, child. But mama, you weren't supposed to see it. His mother mumbled as if to herself, as if she'd forgotten he was there. She lowered her head, her posture so defeated and sad, it scared Billy. Mama? When she raised her head to stare at him, she was his firm, strong mother again. Your papa and Uncle Frank were good men and have fulfilled their duty. Two harbors will be safe from the gale storms for another year. Billy closed his eyes and sank back against the pillow, shaking his head. Mama gently cupped his face. I know you don't understand the sacrifice they made for us, for the town, but you will, someday. Silver Creek Township, Two Harbors, Minnesota, 2020 Aiden Miller parked his rental at the bottom of the mound leading up to his family home, South Haven. It sounded more grandiose than a 3-bedroom, 2-bathroom cabin, but it and the guesthouse sat on 8 acres of land surrounded by the shoreline of the biggest freshwater lake in the world, not to mention a small pond running the property line. It wasn't South Fork Ranch, but it had been a great place to grow up, marked by community and surrounded by nature. It was probably where his love of the outdoors had developed, and living in New York for the last decade since leaving home to attend NYU at 18 hadn't diminished that fondness. He was home, on vacation, one he had been looking forward to for years, a celebration and a reunion. Despite this, he knew his older brother William wouldn't be coming, alone or with Evelyn and their two boys. Once he'd left the homestead, his great escape as he called it, Dad's funeral three years ago had been the only occasion for which he'd returned. William said wild horses or anything short of another death in the family couldn't drag him back again. Come on, it's mom's birthday and I've sent her something very nice. The best present would be yourself. She's got you and the girls and the rest of the family. I'm sure she'll hardly miss me. Aiden had wanted to argue further but knew talking his brother into joining him in two harbors was a lost cause. Ever the peacemaker, he'd had to try, though. It hadn't been Mom with whom William had a falling out, after all, and Dad was gone. There had been an infinitesimal moment when Aiden thought he had gotten through to William and heard a deep sigh on the other end before his brother finally said, Be careful out there, Aid. Weird. It wasn't as if he was a police officer starting his shift in a high-crime area. Aiden? He startled and turned to see the stunning young woman who'd knocked on the sedan's tinted window. Rika Lyle stepped back as he got out of the car and shut the door behind himself. He bent to put his arms around her petite frame and she readily returned his hug. Her smallness brought out his protective big brother feelings, but her rounded curves in all the right places made him feel anything but fraternal. If Aiden remembered correctly, she was a distant cousin, distant enough that his carnal thoughts didn't make him feel like a complete pervert. It's been a while, she said, pushing a silky lock of windblown hair behind her ear. The rich auburn color mesmerized Aiden, as did her intense green eyes, all of which reminded him of William's wife, Evelyn. In fact, Rika looked so much like her, she could have been Evelyn's younger sister. Weird thought, since he knew Evelyn was an orphan who had been raised by an aunt in New York. William had met her when he'd visited the university library where she worked. Evelyn was several years older than William, but it hadn't stopped him from instantly falling. To hear William tell it, their meeting had been fate, which Aiden thought odd since his brother wasn't famous for believing in fate. His destiny was his own, he liked to say, which was why he would left home when he had. Three years, Aiden said once he found his voice. Sorry I couldn't make it to your father's funeral. No worries, I know you were at university. Science major, right? He said the latter to impress her, and it seemed to work as he noticed her eyes brighten when she grinned. He pushed his advantage and asked, Still going to medical school? That's the plan. I want to help. She sounded so solemn and old, like she'd seen a lot. Aiden instinctively put his hand on her arm and squeezed, You'll achieve whatever you put your mind to. So, how is everything in the Big Apple? It's no two harbors, but I find my own little piece of nature to bask in when I can. I've heard Central Park is impressive. It has its appeal. It was on the tip of his tongue to invite her, but he didn't know how appropriate that would be. If memory served, her father, Logan Lyle, was a strict disciplinarian and an elder on the township council, just a step below the sheriff on the intimidation scale. The thought didn't stop him from sliding his arm around her shoulder as they headed up the wooden steps leading to the main house. So, you're the welcoming committee? Sort of, she grinned. How's your brother and his wife and kids? Aiden, what are you doing here so early? We're not ready for you. He laughed as mom threw her arms around him tight as if he were a soldier returning home from war overseas. Aiden returned her bear hug and realized she was crying. Mom, what's wrong? Finally, she pulled back and he thumbed away her tears. Don't mind me. I'm just so happy you're here. And now he has to leave, Rika said. What are you two up to? Aiden looked from his mother to Rika and smirked. Is she planning her own party again? You know she doesn't trust anyone else to do things right. Not even Emily and Fallon? Especially not your sisters. Mom said. Emily is too bossy and Fallon is too picky. I wonder where they get that from. Aiden laughed as his mother turned him around and guided him and Rika back down the stairs. You're going to be staying at the Lyles for the duration. Rika's been tasked to play your personal tour guide. Mom, I'm not a tourist. I know my way around the town. But wouldn't going around town be more fun with company? Look at you playing matchmaker. Aiden laughed, but she had a point. It wasn't like he was involved either. His workaholic ways were too much for most women to put up with for long. He had ended his last short-term relationship with a nurse a month ago. His job and her job, not such a good fit. They were equally passionate about their careers, but she assumed, usually in the middle of an argument when she was about to mic drop, that because he worked on Wall Street, he was prone to greed and excess. He admitted he liked the finer things in life, but he earned every penny and he had made plenty of sacrifices to get where he was. Aiden looked at Rika strolling by his side to see if she took offense at his statement, but she seemed unoffended, in fact, looked pleased with his and mom's banter. When they reached the bottom of the staircase, mom dragged him into another firm embrace, holding on for a while as he hugged her back. Rika stepped in to pry his mother away now now mrs miller we will have your son back to you for the party mom gave them both a sad smile before turning to head back up to the house rika smiled and shrugged mothers and their sons go figure the same could be said for fathers and their daughters aiden was glad to get off the subject of him and mom unsettled by her extra demonstrativeness maybe it was her upcoming birthday although she had never been as stoic or stern as dad or some of the other town elders On the other hand, she wasn't gushy, either. Like him, she'd been the mediator of the family, the calm voice of reason. Her skills, however, hadn't been enough to keep William from leaving the final time he and dad had lit into each other. Aiden had been 11 and hadn't known what he was going to do without the big brother he idolized. Are you worried my papa will have a shotgun cocked and ready for your arrival? He arched a brow. Should I be? Nah, you were always one of his favorites. Rika hooked an arm through his before he could further ponder her words. They walked the several blocks to her family's massive cabin in comfortable silence. As she had alluded, Mr. and Mrs. Lyle and the rest of the family welcomed him to their house with open arms, all looking forward to his stay and to mom's birthday celebration in a couple of days. Aiden drained the large glass of lemonade Rika pushed into his hand. Then she showed him to his room and left him to unpack. The jet lag must have caught up with him because shortly after his shower, he went to bed and was uncharacteristically out like a light. Rika barely left his side the entire week. She'd tired him out so much, ripping and tearing as Aiden's mother called it, that every evening after dinner and dessert topped off by Mrs. Lyle's refreshing lemonade, he'd barely had the energy to take a shower before falling into bed and going right to sleep. They biked the Gitchigami State Trail with its awesome lakeside views before they took time to enjoy the Gooseberry Falls State Park. Passing through the birch and aspen forests, crossing various waterfalls, and cruising through towns as historic as their own, he and Rika finally hit one of Lake Superior's numerous beaches to get some sun and splash in the waves. Afterward, they settled down for a picnic of Mrs. Lyle's famous walleye sandwiches with his favorite cookie salad for dessert. The day after his mother's birthday party, he and Rika went hiking the Split Rock River Loop, and the day after that, they hit Two Rivers Loop. Finally, yesterday, they went shopping in town for gifts for his nephews, Evelyn and William, before he and Rika had a leisurely picnic on the Split Rock Cliffs. When he'd been growing up, it had been Two Harbor's version of a makeout spot. As had most teen boys in the township, Aiden used to bring his dates to the cliffs, and together they'd watch the gales of November from a safe distance, though winds created enormous whitecaps just like one would see at the ocean and waves could exceed 30 feet. It was a spectacular sight, and the perfect backdrop for a romantic picnic despite, or maybe because of, its proximity to the Forbidden Forest. Rika was the ultimate tour guide, filling up almost every minute of their time together, reacquainting Aiden with his hometown and all the things he loved about small-town life, making him fall in love with his birthplace as if he was a wide-eyed visitor. He'd always been in love with nature. He didn't know whether it was living within walking distance of so much of it that fostered his love or if it was just an innate thing flowing through his veins. He just knew there was nothing in New York, not even upstate, that was comparable to the forests and lakes near the township. Maybe it was the mystical aura. What other state park boasted the Aspen's signature dance in the wind, after all? Or maybe it was the old ways to which the elders still clung, shamelessly spreading tales of a creature that lived in the woods and protected the town. Aiden knew they did it to keep their kids from going to the cliffs, but especially the forest nearby. The tales, of course, did the opposite. Not only did Aiden and his friends go to the cliffs and forest and make up their own stories around campfires about the creature that lurked in the night, they made fun of the stories, too cool and enlightened to lend any credence to their parents' backwoods ideas. William never made fun like the other kids did. He didn't believe the stories any more than Aiden and his friends, but he chastised them for ridiculing the adults who did. Rika was much like William in this respect. She took the tales of the creature seriously which made her stories of the creature in the forest spookier than if she did not aiden almost laughed out loud at the latter thought what's the cheshire cat grin for rika sat beside him on the porch swing her weight making it sway and sink with his suddenly speeding heart you're not happy you're leaving us tomorrow are you more like sad he glanced at her and smiled rubbing his full belly i'm going to miss your mother's meals when i leave is that all you're going to miss?" He put an arm around her shoulder as she curled up in the seat next to him, thinking how much he would loved to start something with her, but not wanting to start yet another doomed relationship. Despite leaving home and going to university, Rika was as entrenched in the town and the old ways as any elder in the township. He couldn't see her leaving with him to go to New York, and despite how much he'd enjoyed himself this week, he couldn't see himself staying. Not to mention, she was younger. Not insurmountably so, but her dyed-in-the-wool father probably wouldn't take too kindly to aid in ripping his baby from her home and the family fold, or trying to fill her head with his progressive, highfalutin ideas. Spending time with her there in town under the elders' watchful eyes, maybe even the minimal necking in which they had engaged was okay, but he didn't think him and Rika getting serious would go over too well. As if to save him from answering Rika's loaded question, his cell phone vibrated. He took it out of his back pocket to check the caller ID and grinned. William had called daily since Aiden had arrived, just to check in and make sure Aiden hadn't decided to defect, as he put it. Fat chance of that. He wasn't as staunch about staying away as William, but he certainly wasn't coming back to live here, either. Rika stood as if sensing his need for privacy. I'll let you take that. Aiden accepted the call, and just as he said, Hey Will, Rika pushed a tall, cold glass of her mother's famous lemonade into his free hand before she left. The night was unseasonably warm, and Aiden took a big gulp, appreciating the perfect combination of tartness and sweetness as the cool liquid rushed down his throat to fill his already full belly. If he hadn't been running around town all week with Rika, he was sure he would have gained 10 pounds by now. Just checking in. William said thanks mom how's she doing I haven't spent much time over there since her birthday to tell you the truth but last I saw her she was fine hasn't made any overtures about you coming back and staying for good no not yet but who knows she might still fling herself onto the hood of my rental as I'm preparing to drive to the airport tomorrow jerk bitch William chuckled on the other end as Aiden had meant him to they'd never been on any supernatural style hunts together but they were as close as the Winchester brothers. So you're definitely coming home tomorrow? Yes, Mother Hen. Just checking. The boys are anxious to see you. And get their souvenirs? That too. William chuckled. There was a long, comfortable pause where neither of them said anything to fill the void before Rika came back out and started the swing to rocking again. She smiled at Aiden and pointed to his glass and mouthed, all of it. He grinned and drained the glass before handing it back to her. She pecked his cheek before leaving with it and the pitcher atop a nearby wicker table. Where had the pitcher come from? He swore she moved like a wraith, appearing out of nowhere, effortlessly bringing him snacks and meals and drinks and just as effortlessly taking away the remnants. Well, I guess I'd better let you go to start packing, William said, his tone firm and solemn, as if he was warning Aiden to go pack now. You think mom's going to kidnap me to keep me from leaving? Don't joke like that, William said. See you soon, jerk. And before Aiden could reply, his brother ended the call. Well, a uh, howdy-do to you too, as their mom would say. Aiden guessed it was time to get moving, take his brother's advice, and finish packing. When he stood up to go inside, however, his head started spinning. He plopped back down onto the swing and closed his eyes tight, hoping the dizziness would pass. Everything's going to be alright, Aiden. What? <laughs> He opened his eyes to see Rika crouched in front of him, rubbing his jeans-clad thighs before she stood up and cupped his cheek. It's time to go. She put an arm around him to help him stand. How long had he been out? Why was his head hurting so badly? He felt like he had a hangover. It's not far and the night air will wake you up. Rika kept an arm wrapped around his waist as they shuffled to her family's SUV. He got in on the passenger side closed the door and buckled his seatbelt after several attempts. His eyelids felt so heavy he decided to nap for however long the ride lasted. It seemed Rika pulled to a stop all too soon after starting the engine and pulling out. Aiden felt her turn to him. We're here, sweetheart. Sweetheart? What was in that lemonade? He turned his head on the headrest, the only body part he had enough energy to move. Where? Where? A quiet little spot I thought you'd enjoy before the ceremony. Going to have your way with me? He grinned, feeling goofy. At least he wasn't nauseous like he'd been when he first woke up. He still wasn't wide awake, though. What ceremony? Mom's birthday party had been days ago. I plan on it. Rika got out of the SUV and came around his side to help him out. They walked a while until they arrived at the lighthouse. Aiden paused at the lighthouse keeper's home near the edge of the forest and lowered himself onto the steps outside. He couldn't go any further. He closed his eyes as the sounds of woodland creatures washed over him. Barred owls hooting, grey tree frogs singing, crickets chirping. The noises took him back to his childhood and teenage years, echoes of his forgotten youth in a township where everyone knew each other and everyone looked out for each other. There was nothing like that vibe in New York and for the first time in a long time, he realized how much he had missed home. Suddenly, the nostalgic moment was shattered when above the nocturnal cacophony rose the jarring sound of something larger, something predatory. As eerie as he had always found tree frogs singing en masse, Aiden had never been as creeped out as he was by that last snarl. It wasn't a wolf. He knew what wolves sounded like. He'd worked for the forest service several summers as a teen and had up close and personal experience with the beautiful wild canines. And though black bears were one of Minnesota's symbolic species, the only type of bear in the state, the sound didn't seem right for one of them either. He jerked up his head, eyes wide as that sound beat through his dull senses again. It was half gruesome and half painful, as if the creature was dying. Aiden didn't know if that made it more threatening or less. As if to nip his bare grill's mental tangent in the bud, Rika sat down beside him and cupped his face with both hands. She drew close and tenderly kissed him, slipping her tongue past his parted lips as he groaned. Aiden wasn't sure whether he groaned out of frustration because he knew he wasn't up for what Rika seemed to have in mind, or if he groaned out of pain because suddenly his head began throbbing in earnest. All that thinking about the creature in the woods, no doubt. Just a figment of his imagination, that's all it was. Rika pulled away, caressing his face. You are brave and strong, Aiden. The town owes you such a debt of gratitude. Gratitude for what? It's time, son. Aiden opened his eyes at the new, deeper voice to see Mr. Lyle and another of the town elders standing beside him. Each man took him by an arm, helped him down the steps, and marched him toward the forest. Behind him, Aiden could have sworn he heard Rika whisper, I'm sorry, Aiden. He was surprised when they came upon the crowd gathered deep in the woods. Looked like all the town elders, more than 40 men and women from the most respected families in the township all standing around a large circle of fist-sized asymmetrical stones, within which sat a huge marble altar beside a campfire. Mom, Emily, and Fallon seemed out of place, standing beyond the group at the edge of the forest, crying. Mr. Lyle and the other elder led Aiden toward the altar, and that's when he dragged his feet and struggled against their hold. What? What's going on? You're a miller, son, and a male. That's how we've always done things. Lyle and the other elder now hauled him forward. What things? Memories flooded back to him now. Not enough to piece together what they were all doing out in the forest. Why none of Aiden's peers were present, not even Rika. Or why there was an altar that appeared to have his name on it. In that moment though, he realized how much he'd been sheltered. How much he and all of his childhood friends had been protected from the real deal. From what his father had always told William was his destiny. William had refused to accept it. His destiny had been denied. Aiden's had not. Oh, we've changed things a bit from the beginning. The creature has evolved over the decades, as have we. Things are a lot less bloody, the process kinder and gentler. We mostly have Rika to thank for that. Besides, we're not savages after all, but the end result is the same. What the hell was Mr. Lyle yammering about? They reached the altar and Aiden resisted before two more elders joined in the fray to slam him down onto the hard slab. You said you wouldn't hurt him! It was the first time his mother had spoken since Aiden and the elders had entered the forest. The first time his addled brain registered the fact that she'd known. She'd known what they were going to do to him tonight and she wasn't doing anything to stop it. Had William known? Had he served Aiden up to to take his place? Be careful out there, Aid. God, he was so stupid. How had he not seen it? All the calls to check in, anxious to have Aiden get back to New York. Why hadn't his brother just said something to him? Why hadn't he warned him? Not to mention the Lyles had been grooming and fattening him up for this ceremony. The lemonade. And he had been guzzling it down all week long like a clueless cult member drinking the Kool Aid. So freaking appropriate. Idiot! We've got everything under control, Ada, Mr. Lyle assured. In the midst of the madness, Aiden noticed movement behind his family, the crunching of fallen leaves, the sudden stillness of every elder in the forest, as if they had all stopped breathing at once. Even the woodland creatures had quieted and stilled, all but one. When the creature Huffing and slavering with wild, glowing yellow eyes, finally burst from the thicket. Aiden screamed, When to Go? The title flashed through his mind, along with recollections of all the many discussions and arguments upon which he had eavesdropped between William and Dad. It's okay, son. Mr. Lyle squeezed his shoulders and forced him back against the altar while the other three elders firmly strapped him down forehead, arms, and legs against the marble that felt suddenly, unmercifully cold. The creature didn't attack anyone, just slowly entered the circle, laser-focused on him. Aiden desperately struggled against the leather straps, and from the corner of his eyes he saw his youngest sister, Emily, bury her face against their mother's chest. He watched as if outside his body while one of the elders cut his shirt from his torso with a wicked-looking hunting knife. He steeled himself for a piercing pain that never came. What came was much worse. The creature climbed onto the altar to straddle him as the elders and his family stood back and watched, chanting in a foreign, mellifluous tongue that seemed at once out of place but not. The stench was hideous, and Aiden gagged as the creature cupped his face with large, misshapen hands. He couldn't, however, look away when the beast lowered its head, and for a crazy moment he wondered whether it would kiss him or bite him. It didn't either, instead fixed its bloody, tattered lips over Aiden's, barely scraping Aiden's mouth with its serrated teeth as it inhaled deep. Aiden felt like he was suffocating, unable to take a breath while the beast sucked the life from him like a powerful vacuum, slowly and torturously. Every. Last. Bit. He felt his organs brutally shifting to make room for his concave belly, his ribs protruding from his desiccated flesh as tufts of mangy gray fur sprouted all over his body. The invocation reached its crescendo as the beast violently shuddered and tumbled off of Aiden and into the campfire, its now empty husk burning. The last thing Aiden heard before he submitted to his new reality, a fresh hell where his soul was trapped in a horribly decaying and starving body, was Mr. Lyle's resonant voice raised as if in a celebratory toast. Happy Centennial! I'll get it! William listened as his oldest son picked up the receiver of the family's landline because like his dad, at least with some things, William was old school and liked tradition. Daddy, it's grandma! Had Aiden decided to stay longer and was too chicken to call William himself? When he made it to the living room, Davy was animatedly talking to his grandmother, saying he wanted to see her too and couldn't wait to come out there. Okay, time to nip that in the bud, Davy said, she sounds sad, dad, before handing over the receiver. William's heart sped, then dropped to his stomach. He didn't even get a chance to say hello before his mother's tearful voice on the other end delivered the news he had dreaded hearing since he'd left two harbors decades ago. It didn't matter that his mother was grief-stricken. And how dare she even try it. She'd let it happen. She was part of it, just like Aiden's and William's dad had been part of it. The entire town, just a bunch of... You were a part of it, too. You let it happen. He'd thought the cycle had been broken when he'd left, when Aiden left, that the elders would turn their attentions on other young males in the township, but he had become complacent, forgotten how important a date yesterday had been, that Davy was the same age as Billy Miller when he'd lost his father and uncle, that Davy's uncle was among the enemy in the belly of the beast. You coward. He put the receiver back in its base, stumbled to the nearest chair, and began rocking back and forth. It started as a low murmur at the base of his skull before the words pounded through his head on repeat. Aiden's gone, Aiden's gone, Aiden's gone. Your fault, your fault, your fault. Mommy, dad's crying. William remembered when his parents first brought Aiden home, a tiny squirming bundle loudly crying. He was seven and his mother handed him his newborn brother, so little with his red face and strong lungs. As soon as William sat in his mother's favorite rocker and started singing to him, Aiden stopped crying. His baby brother. His to keep. His to soothe. His to protect. And he had failed. Evelyn rushed from the kitchen and crouched in front of him. Will, what's the matter? You're scaring the kids. You're scaring me. He glanced past Evelyn to see his boys huddled in the doorway, eyes wide and tearful. William took a deep breath. He had to get things under control. He had to get himself under control. They're never going out there, Evie. He cleared his throat, building up steam. My boys will visit their grandmother in that town over my dead body. You hear me? Of course, honey. Evelyn stood and rubbed his shoulders, nodding. You look parched. Why don't I go get you a nice tall glass of lemonade?
0: Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want to join the Nightlight Legion to support us, go to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. If you're unable to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Written reviews help us the most, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. You can also give us a shout-out on your favorite social media, at Nightlight Pod, or like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RansomPodcasts, or rate us if you're in a hurry. Audio production for this episode by Davis Walden. Join us next time, and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know who might be waiting to sacrifice you in the dark.